All right, everybody, welcome to the Adaptive Edge podcast, where I bring you the latest in psychology and neuroscience to impact your everyday life. I'm your host, Greg Murray, and the founder of Adaptive Edge Coaching. Uh, so today I've got Dominique Pousset-Legend. She's a certified consultant coach and specializes in intercultural situations. Uh, she's Franco-Canadian herself and lives here in Lyon, France, uh, where we are now. So I'm excited to uh, speak with her today about uh, change in organizations, emotions uh, in organizations, and uh, intercultural differences and what it's like to kind of straddle that divide. So I'm excited, Dominique. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Greg. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So uh, why don't you get, you know, I introduced you briefly there, um, but why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and you can talk about Maple Coaching and, um, and what, you're, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Well, as you said, I'm a certified coach. Uh, I have a past in uh, international purchasing and marketing. Uh, so today I work with um, corporate clients and mainly with the, those who are developing their international business and mainly for those who are into developing that for the first time. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, big changes within the organization and that's where um, I come in. Um, as, as a coach to, to help them through, to help them through these challenges and these changes. That's great. So you're helping companies as they, you know, expand, but also go through a lot of change and, you know, cultural change or working with different cultures is a huge barrier. I know on an individual level. So if you can imagine an entire organization, uh, organism of people trying to, you know, speak to somebody and speak to multiple teams who are in different locations, um, so it's a great intro to our first topic of intercultural communication. Um, and I know that you and I have spoke about Erin Meyer. Um, she works at a business school here in France. What is it called? INSEAD. INSEAD. Yeah. So, you know, I know we've discussed her research quite a bit. Yes, well, that's right. Um, uh, and when I'm, when I'm dealing with these topics, specifically these topics, um, I do like to use her work. Um, uh, she's, uh, she's described, um, professional behaviors and she's, she's broken them up in eight, let's say like eight dimensions, um, mm. how, uh, how we communicate with each other, whether we have a very explicit or implicit type of communication, um, how we evaluate each other. So how a manager would evaluate the his team or her team, mm. um, how, uh, how we persuade others. Uh, it's a very important business skill to convince yeah. others to federate um, and that's not always done the same way or using the same uh, tools from culture okay. to culture um, how we uh, make decisions or how we lead uh, what's a good leader what's a good manager uh, well the definitions can change uh, across uh, across the globe um, also uh, how do we build trusting relationships uh, we do that differently also in different mm. cultures and uh, how we view time. So how we manage our time, how do we schedule things? Uh, what does it mean to be on time? Uh, can be very different. And also uh, how do we disagree in the workplace? Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm already thinking of a lot of examples that I've come up with uh, just living in France. And I did work at a couple different schools, but uh, I can imagine on the whole, grand scale of things you must have seen. Um, 
do you have any good stories or examples about, you know, some of these different measures and how in real life, um, you know, how are some of these things showing up? What are some of the ways in which cultures are communicating differently? Um, yeah, well, I have loads of, loads of examples on a personal level also, because as a Canadian living in France, obviously, I mean, these, situa these different items are, you know, my everyday life, but uh, professionally, of, of course, there's a lot of examples that I've come across. Um, perhaps I can illustrate w one example, and here it's um, to illustrate the comparison between American and uh, French styles of communicating and uh, evaluating in okay. this example. And uh, so in my last firm, I was working, uh, so it's a French company working with uh, subsidiaries all around the world. And at this point, we were having a quality issue uh, with our product in the, in the States. Okay. And so our quality manager at HQ in France had sent out a report to the American colleague and uh, he, he called me to say he had some comments or some changes he wanted to make. So I said, well, listen, why don't you communicate directly to the quality manager? I thought we'd save time this way. Mm. Um, well, a week or a week and a half later, he calls me back, the American sales manager, and he says, look, Dominique, this guy is just not making the changes. I keep telling him what to do. I keep <laughs> telling him that this report is, <laughs> it can't be sent to the client. It needs, you know, it's not, it's not suitable. And he keeps sending back the same report. And I just don't understand why he's not listening to what I have to say. He's not taking, you know, considering, putting, taking into consideration my comments. Yeah. Anyways, to make a long story short, by asking them lots of questions, I realized that this, when he was explaining his um, uh, improvements that he wanted to the sale to the quality manager, the quality manager wasn't understanding. He was hearing. His translation of the comments was that his report was fine and he should just leave it that way. <laughs> um, and this illustrates that you see Americans have a very, we'd say very straightforward, explicit uh, style of communicating. Um, we always say that they're straight to the point and very yes. explicit, very clear. Mm. Um, however, when, they, when you <laughs> uh, give negative feedback, um, you become very indirect. Um, mm. So I don't know why that is, but anyways, that's, that's, that's the style of communication. And so you'll use what we call downgraders. So things like, um, uh, in my opinion, or perhaps maybe you can change this slightly. <laughs> okay, this is, this is the way you communicate negative feedback. The French, on the other hand, have, although they have a very implicit style of communicating, um, often very more, yeah, many layers to their communication. Right. They're very used to uh, being very direct with their negative feedback. So since all cultures figure, think that they're natural, that, that it's implicit to everybody and that it's, uh, yeah. it's their, their way of behaving is the natural way to behave, they're expecting the same thing back. And if you tell them with a very, you know, uh, diluted in a very diluted way what they should be changing in fact they figure that everything's fine okay so anyways once i figured that out that i was able to sort of translate in a way uh so they they got they understood each other but this is just a simple example of how miscommunication happens and what happens in these cases is that it sounds funny today but of course you get a lot of um judgment and and, and uh, bad feelings towards your colleagues if you're not understanding because you 
we judge people that don't behave the way we do. Um, okay. And um, and so it's a lot of negative feelings. Yeah, no, it's a really good example. And I hear the little you people, you Americans, I heard that. Don't don't think I didn't hear that. No, but I agree. Uh, I'll put myself into that boat because Canadians are the same. Okay, yes. No, but it's kind of uh, it's exhausting, actually, sometimes of like down the using the down players, right? And like trying to become less intrusive or less offensive and less um, direct. But this is the only area in that Americans are like this, right? And you, so you mentioned the French and the Americans are opposite in these two. So communicating, which is either explicit communication um, versus implicit. So the French are more implicit. It's more layered, like you said, mm -hmm. and then um, direct negative feedback versus indirect. So Americans are explicit until we get to evaluation that it's indirect. We don't want to hit them with it for some reason. That's right. And that's why it's a very interesting example, because we have these two cultures that, um, sort of switch the opposite uh, style of their communication when they yes. give negative feedback. So we're really on polar opposites with, um, with, uh, with, these, with these two countries. And there's a lot of miscommunication for these reasons. Yes. And I think it's interesting to make the link to the education system as well. And um, I, it's something that I've noticed a big difference. Uh, and I know we've talked about it in the past where um, French and they really like to debate, you know, for the learning, it's uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, kind of all the way throughout. And um, teachers themselves are very direct. And, uh, you know, um, I, I heard I've heard stories. I'm sure you've heard stories. You've got kids and they're in the school system. So, um, yeah, tell me more about that, because uh, I taught in America and I've taught a little bit in France, too. And um, it seems that in France, it's a bit more, you know, if you don't get a 20, then it's not good enough, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd say there's that. And there's also, um, uh, yeah, how the teachers will give. Uh, so I have two boys uh, in the school system in France, and that's all they've ever known. And um, so they're, they're fine with their school system here, and they're quite uh, comfortable with the feedback that they get from their teachers. Mm. And uh, if anybody had to adjust to the feedback, it was their mom. <laughs> Because um, I found that it was lacking, you know, some positiveness to it. You know, there yeah. was very little encouragement in the words um, in in the in the annual reports or the trimester in the semestral reports that there is. This is a little bit more encouraging, but in the everyday work, you know, it's written in red. Uh, Please apply yourself, and uh, mm -hmm. this looks like, uh, anyways. Not, not clean enough or whatever, but and, yeah. and they're they're fine with that. I find it aggressive and, and hurtful, but they're they they understand. They don't have to improve that, and they'll just improve it or work on that. Yeah. But when they get a very timid uh, TB for très bien, um, that's all it says. Just TB. <laughs> they're very proud. Yes. You see. Uh. It's interesting, the, the additional level of pride when you know, and, and I think with direct feedback, you know where you stand all the time, you know, Exactly. though so it's not inflated, it's not falsely inflated. But I also want to touch on something you said before about how judgment comes very quickly in these intercultural situations. He's lazy or he's rude, these types of things. He, talk more about that. I mean, this is this is unfortunate, right? And, and it's natural. I think it's human nature. It's like def defensiveness. I'm not sure. Uh, what, what do you think about that? 
Oh, I think what happened with the only thing I think about it without, I don't want to judge as well. Why, why do we react that way? I think where it comes from is that, and that's probably where all cultures are common or are the same is that we don't realize um, or think about our culture. Okay. We're immersed in it and it's, it's, it's all around us. Um, and so we don't actually realize it. So we, we think that our way of, of thinking, our way of behaving um, is, is common. And yeah. so when somebody is outside of our, what is deemed uh, acceptable in our culture, well, we judge them. And yeah. like you said, they're lazy, they're late, they're disorganized, they're rude. Um, it's, uh, they're shy, they have nothing to say. You know, we'll say, often we say that about Asians, they're so shy, they have, they have nothing to say. Well, no, it's because they don't speak at the same time as us. Uh, they need a bit right. more, they need more quiet, more time to be able to start speaking. So it's, um, it's judgment, right away it's judgment mm. because we're not realizing that our our behavior is totally culturally learned. Yes, yes, and it goes so deep. And like, <laughs> it's a great example. And the with the Asian cultures, the hierarchy is different as well, and the 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 respect for authority. So usually they will not speak, especially if someone is is more uh, senior to them in the room. So yeah, it's it's a great example. And the judgment, just for all the listeners, I always try to say this when I'm working with people on interpersonal communication is um, to get curious. If you know, if you see if you see someone who behaves really differently from you or sees something very differently from you, there's it's there's a reason, and it comes from inferences. People are climbing the ladder of inference, right? And uh, the the key is to get curious. So in this case, you know. Um, really want to encourage people not to judge, not to jump to judgment, instead jump to curiosity. But it's, it's interesting because there is the quote from David Foster Wallace. I think he was given a graduation speech. He's a, he's a writer. Um, and he says something like, okay, so the one fish uh, swims up to the other fish and he says, wow, the water's really nice today. And the other fish says, what the hell is water? Exactly. <laughs> so it's like it doesn't you know this is what the culture is to us so it's yeah, uh exactly and i think that just learning about um that con the concept of culture and learning about or reflecting uh on your own culture um that's it's already good enough i mean it's already a really really good starting point and once you've started once you've accepted that you can do that that you have a culture and that they're not only individual differences um, yes. It's a really big stepping stone for for being a bit better international, I'd say, uh, professional, um, yes. because you'll be more accepting, uh, more adaptive, um, mm. and you will probably accept to practice other methods um, yes. with with different teams or different people. You know, you will realize that you perhaps didn't deliver a message in the way that it's e easily received accepted to the other right. culture and that it's not that they're not interested or they're not smart enough or they're not um or they're that they're lazy about it is that it wasn't uh perhaps put to them in a way that's easy for them to understand yeah and it's that's where you come in that's that's really nice yes <laughs> that's really well, nice. that's why i could come in especially to work with the teams um, initially to expose them to this type of uh, to this work so to you know to have them reflect on um, on these cultural differences and how 
everything that we do is culturally learned. Yes. Um, and that's actually a, sometimes a very difficult point for people. It's, um, it's a bit of a sensitive topic uh, to speak about uh, our culture, our own culture. People yes. get a little bit sensitive about it mm. um, because it's difficult for them or for people to sometimes accept that there's, yes, there's unique differences, there's personalities. Of course, we're not one of the same, mm. but culturally, we have all learned that certain things are acceptable and certain things are not. And this is how we do certain things. or this is how we learn because we've all been brought up in the same school system. So we're not independent of that. And um, that's something that first of all has to be accepted or, you know, take into account. And once that's done, we can start going through the different, the differences within the cultures and giving examples and help giving them some sort of other ways of looking at things when they're in situations. Um, I have a very, another funny example, very recent with the client currently, and um, where I'm coaching different people uh, in the steering committee individually. Uh, and um, they've just started their international development. So they're starting with the Netherlands and the Belgium a lot. And, uh, and so I was speaking with them individually, and but they all started to have the same, you know, contacts with these countries, and they were coming back to me with their experiences, their feedback, and they were using the same words to judge people, but they were speaking about different people, okay, but the same culture, and they were using the same uh, uh, adjectives. Yeah, like <laughs> and what? So I said so. Yeah, I put them together and I told them to you. Know, this is really interesting <laughs> because you're all speaking about different people in the same culture and you're using the same adjectives. Of course, they were judgments. They was, was quite negative because it was difficult for them, yes. um, but they were perceiving these people the same way. And obviously, they realized very quickly that okay, we're not going to categorize entire countries <laughs> with these negative adjectives. It's we have to we have to accept that it's a cultural difference and not a personal difference. Yes. Yeah, it gets pretty heated, huh? You, so you're kind of like a therapist sometimes, huh? <laughs> no, no, it's good. good to bring to light. And it, it was good. They, they accepted it quite quickly when they realized that, yes, they kind of, kind of, kind of fell into a, a trap, you know, it was yeah. the standard. Well, it also it depersonalizes it, right? It's not about it's not about uh, them being rude. It's not about them being all of these labels. It's it's really just a difference. Um, so that's great that you're able to point that out for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I think you say, you say a lot also that there's not one is right or wrong. It's just you got to understand how the other person is communicating. Yes. Yeah. And the relative, like the the relative uh, difference, um, we will seem. I don't know, the French will seem very, you know, always late or disorganized to uh, one type of culture, but will seem perhaps very rigid and, uh, and unflexible to another type of culture. Yeah. So it's, it's, always, it's also understanding that, that it's all relative and that there's, it's, it's, it's a, it's, um, it doesn't make sense to say uh, one culture is this way or that way. Yes, I appreciate you saying that. you're viewing it from. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really appreciate you saying that because it is a spectrum. And that's another thing that's really interesting uh, in the book, The Culture Map, that she literally has them, all of those eight measures and maps out where the countries land on these different scales. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah she has a good system. It's a very good system for, for detailing and giving, give, giving precise examples for those, especially for people who don't have a lot of experience on their own. 
field experience. They're able to, they can look at the map and sort of try to anticipate what they'll see and prepare for that. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, um, uh, what do you think are some of the biggest barriers to organizational change? Uh, you know, I know you deal with a lot of companies that are expanding, going international, and we all know change is very, very difficult. Um, so what do you think is the reason of some of the main reasons that come up for you? Um, for me, uh, and I like to tell my, often say to my clients, or we often start by that, is I say that it's very rare that the final goal or the, you know, the company strategy is the wrong one. Um, because if they if they've designed it, if they thought of it, and they're very competent, and they've, you know, they know their market, they probably have a very good idea of their goal. Um, what I say is, is off, what happens often is that the process to get there, or the strategy in order to get from the starting point to the goal is often where the problems arise. Um, so that takes off a lot of I think it's good to take off some of the pressure from to the final goal uh, once that's well defined and I, usually the people are very competent and able to define that hmm. and so what i'd say is the biggest issue is where is the starting point is how clear is the actual starting point um and that's what i like to start with my clients is to give them the space and the and the, and the uh, yeah sort of safe and trustworthy space with, with me either as individuals or as a team to work through all the gray zones and uh, talk about all the sensitive issues that are existing in their current systems or in the current company or so whether it's with, between the teams or um, how the company is organized and um, to have a more lucid, more honest view of where is how they are today and mm. the starting point. Because of course, if you don't know where you're starting from or if you're not, it's not clear or you have a um, I'd say warped view of where you're starting from. Then, of course, then the strategy to get to where you want to go is obviously not going to be the right one. Yeah, very true. Very true. And um, when you change, a lot of times weaknesses are exposed. And uh, you know, whether it's weakness in strategy or execution, do you see this come out a lot um, when when companies are changing? That uh, I don't know if weakness is the right word, but in inefficiencies or... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's the point of the, of the work that with, uh, uh, with the coach um, that specializes in this type of thing is to, yeah, is to uh, accept the, the work with the coach to uh, help you have a really, really clear view of, of what your organization looks like today. And... Um, and, and, and go through all those gray zones, go through all those sensitive topics and identify, uh, for example, there's often we find places where people perhaps are overcompensating uh, is perhaps there's, and then you know, identify why there's overcompensation. Often things have been put in place, you know, they've come up over a long period of time, right? So it's not so obvious. It's not something that happened yesterday, you know? Uh, sometimes, it, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a culture within the company that's created situations that people have always just managed with, uh, but, they, but they have to realize that if this situation is overcompensation or there's lack of a certain technical uh, knowledge or, or competency or perhaps certain type of management uh, worked until, until then, uh, but they realize it's not going to work for them tomorrow with what the goal that they have. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. People, you said they're, they're kind of hiding their weaknesses and hiding these things. 
yeah. unconsciously often, but yeah. yes. So the idea for the coach is really to give them the space, uh, safe, uh, structured, but uh, truthful space where they can get through that work together. Yeah. Yeah. How direct are you in your feedback? Um, well, I'm, I'm direct when I need to be, but, um, to be honest, Greg, the, one of the main principles of coaching is to encourage your client to find his own solutions and his own, uh, strategies. Okay. So, um, unless something's sticking out like a sore thumb and, and, and they're not seeing it and I'll, I'll point it out, obviously, yes. um, the idea often is for them to find their own solution because it's not one recipe and, you know, everybody has to find their own their own way and if it's your own way it'll be the best way hmm. yeah wow that's great i love how you're saying you build the autonomy build the independence and the, the liberty that's yeah. creating skills it's great that's all, i love it yeah, yeah. it's more beneficial for for sustainable change definitely yes okay well that's great um you know i know that i see a lot of similar patterns um I think you know that I do immunity to change and yes. um, you know, I see a lot of the same stuff on an individual level when you talk about hiding weaknesses and uh, you say a lot of this stuff is non-conscious or unconscious. And um, this is totally in line with my training and, and then what I've experienced as well. And so you would say the, those are the same, um, uh, how can we say? same things that you see on an individual personal level as what I'm seeing in the corporate world? Yeah. The psychological process I would say is, is the same. And I nerd out on this. I'm like, it's so interesting that one individual can have these patterns and then you mm -hmm. get a hundred individuals together and the same patterns come, come out. So uh, yeah. And you know, I, my background is in developmental psychology and um, trained in constructivism, constructive developmental theory and this basic principle is that we as humans construct our own reality. Um, and with developmental psychology, you've got stage theorists. And uh, so they track the different ways that we think about ourselves and the world um, and, you know, thought patterns, emotion patterns and things like that um, over time. And so, you know, different theorists have different amounts of stages. Um, but that's, uh, that's kind of the theoretical background. And then for the coaching, it's called immunity to change coaching. So um, the idea is that we are uh, resistant to change. And what is it called in French? There's a word for that, right? Uh, exactly. It's the, the literal translation of, of resistance to change. It's résistance au changement. Résistance au changement. <laughs> yeah. So you say it better, but uh, <laughs> good thing at least, well. it didn't, at least it didn't have any R's in there. So I... <laughs> But um, no, so yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's pretty interesting that it's a whole cultural phenomenon and they talk about it. Um, I would say it's not that common um, immunity to change in the States uh, to, to like think of it as a concept, um, but people do understand it pretty quickly. It's the idea that you, are, uh, you have subconscious or non-conscious fears and beliefs that are holding you back and this comes out. Uh, to protect yourself. That's why it's called an immunity. You're protecting yourself from realizing something or confronting or facing something. Um, a lot of times it's fears, weaknesses, vulnerabilities. And um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I help people with a lot. Um, and, you know, sticking with the business example, uh, since we're talking about organizations and a lot of my clients have professional goals, 
uh, and it, it comes out a lot at work. You know, our patterns in our personal life carry over into the workplace big time. So um, I think I think a common example is the you know that that everybody m- many people can relate to is the manager who wants to get better at delegating um, or you know giving away some work or uh, empowering people around them and uh, just can't for some reason, you know, if they want to control or it may seem that way, it's a control thing um, where they could really use help because managers are also strapped for time in most cases. Uh, So a lot of what I do is helping people, yes, with time management, but also creating the environment in your team where you can, you know, trust each other, rely on people, um, and within your own mind, intrapersonally, um, to overcome some of those blockages. So, uh, you know, what I find with these types of goals and barriers is that if someone is having trouble delegating, they have predictable behaviors. Um, they'll spend time thinking about how to delegate instead of actually doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they'll make excuses to delay giving away their work or, or delegating things, um, or they're just doing things that they definitely could pass on to someone else. Um, and so when you really dig into what, why is that with somebody, and that's what I do as a coach and with this background in psychology, um, you know, what are you worried about? If you do the opposite of these behaviors, what are the fears under there? There's, that's what it is. There's fears driving these protective behaviors. If you want to change and you can't, the idea is you're protecting yourself. So, uh, maybe someone in this situation, you know, they won't, they fear that they won't be as good. If, uh, if they're now delegating the things they know they're good at, they're going to take on new responsibilities and who knows if they're going to be good at that. So that's scary. Um, they might not be seen as being needed. Uh, you know, if they're giving away all their work, well, what's left for them? Do they, we, we really want to feel needed, uh, you know, it's a core concern. And then um, sometimes it's just about like logistically how to delegate. They're worried about doing it wrong and, you know, the whole business deal goes bad or something like that. Um, and a lot of the people's own sense of value and self-worth is coming from their work. So a lot of it is like, oh, I, I fear that I won't have any value similar to the being needed thing. So, um, you know, and what you develop then cognitively uh, is like thought patterns about that. Like you assume you start to take for granted and accept them as truth uh, that these things are true, you know, that that if you... Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, the immunity to change method is great. There's a lot of exercises that we do. I'll take somebody, um, you know, first, we'll, we'll kind of lay everything I just set out on a map. And that's kind of the diagnostic exercise. And from there, it's, uh, there's several other exercises that are really, really nice. I've used this stuff in my own life. You know, it's helped my clients a bunch too. It's completely changed my life. So I really believe in it. Um, you know, the, there's a survey, uh, survey exercise where this is typically more for business goals. Um, it is optional, but um, it's really helpful to see how true this stuff is if you ask the people around you. Um, so, you know, sending in a survey to maybe eight to 10 of your closest family members, colleagues, things like that about, you know, is this true? Um, it's truly something that I would benefit from working on. What is the other person's perception of the situation? Um, which that in itself requires a lot of vulnerability, uh, yes, you yes. know? 
So that's a big step. And that's why it is optional. Sometimes it's not good to do uh, if the person's not ready for that or if it's not, you know, logical. Um, but we do a lot of behavior observation with reflection after. Um, we dig deep into the biography a little bit of the person in this particular problem. Uh, biography exercise was really nice. And then I think the biggest, you know, about three months in, maybe after four or five sessions, the testing exercises where we're actually, okay, we've identified what's going on. We've identified why through observation, we've got a little more nuanced, but now what happens when you test the behavior and, and start with something safe, right? Something smart, a smart mm -hmm. test where you're not going to get fired. You're not going to, this person's not going to leave you. Um, you, you, something that you trust will go well, and then you work up from there. So, um, you know, and through a lot of this, it's very emotional. Uh, the, these fears run deep and they're there for a reason. So, uh, we yeah, we talk about emotions a lot. And that's, that's what I love about the job is like, there's all this psychology and there's all these strategies and things, but it's it, in the end, it's a very personal uh, process. A uh, person is changing and, you know, whenever you have change like that, you have a lot of emotions come to the surface. So I really love that aspect as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool to make the links to the organizational level. Cause most of the times when I'm talking to my clients in a one-on-one -on -one setting, I'm like, I wish I had the whole organization in here. I could tell them what to, I wish I could tell them what to do and what not to do. Uh, but yeah, you know, just to wrap up and, and our last topic here is, uh, you know, bringing back to culture. Mm -hmm. We're both expats. Um, you have, you know, lived in France much longer and I've lived here for three years. You're from Canada originally. And um, I know a lot of people will say, uh, oh, France and Canada, they must be so similar because they both speak French or much of Canada speaks French. And, uh, you know, I know that from being here that it's not the same at all. Right. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about, uh, you know, how your integration experience has gone here? Um, yeah, yes, it's, it's true. Uh, you, it's a very personal experience. Um, uh, but it's helped me a lot, I find, with my line of work, because I think I was perhaps probably more sensitive to these situations and, and where miscommunication was mm. happening because I think I was, um, yeah, I'd say sensitive in the sense of, I would put myself in the place of the, of the foreigner, uh, let's say that yes. was visiting or, um, and that probably wasn't, get, you know, getting everything that he needed um, from, his, uh, from his colleagues at the time, um, probably because I've been in that situation so many times. And yes, loads of people have said to me, uh, whether it's back home in Canada or here, oh, for you, it's easy. You speak the language. And sure, I was Canadian, Francophone from Canada. So it, that was a huge barrier less. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that it wasn't nothing, um, but it's, it's really not, it doesn't do it all. And culturally, and actually if you go back to those eight dimensions uh, explained by Amy Meyer, when, uh, when we look on her little mapping system, there's not one dimension where Canada nice. and France are close. <laughs> That's not one. Nice. That's crazy. So yeah, what is language then? What is language exactly. in the face of that difference? Wow. Exactly. So um, yeah, so it's it's it's, uh, it's very neat when you when you when I point that out to people and they're, they're quite surprised. And in fact, there have been you know loads of cultural situations uh, where I. I've learned, of course, to, to adapt. Uh, I've been here for 21 years, so lots of things uh, roll off my back now. I, I've, you know, I've come to terms with some things, but I'd say 
um, if I was to reflect on my, my years past, I think there's, uh, you know, different stages in an adaptation. Uh, whereas at first everything's just fabulous and wonderful. Of course, I was much younger and, you know, less, uh, perhaps less pressure on, on my, well, you know, my situation. And then, um, yeah, I think it's a few years in when you realize that perhaps you'll never go back to Canada, you've settled down and you're here uh, as an adult. Um, well, there's, there will always be a difference between me and the French. Mm. Uh, I have the nationality now and I speak like them now, um, but uh, I didn't grow up with them. And as we say, you know, a lot of these cultural uh, behaviors are are learned and well they're learned as a child you know Definitely. in family and at school uh and yeah just all of your environment and so of course that'll never change within me and so there's a lot of things like that where i always feel like a little bit you know a little bit different and when i realized that that i would never be like exactly like my peers that was a little bit of a moment <laughs> yes. um but, but I think it's an important moment to, to, con to, to be conscious of it, uh, not in denial of that and not on mm. the quest of always trying to fit in in every circumstance. And then I realized that, no, that, that was okay. And I was going to stay here. And my differences was going to be more of a resource and more of a, something interesting than a, than a drawback. Really interesting. Yeah. So um, it's acceptance, a little bit of acceptance there. Yeah. And yeah. And then maybe a bit of pride in the difference. I have, you know, if your difference is going to be interesting, you said something of an asset, you know, I think yeah, that could be something. I'd say to use it to my advantage as opposed to pointing out the negative sides, mm. perhaps pointing out where, as I said at the beginning, it, it did help me, but I realized this a little bit, you know, um, a few years in uh, that it was helping them every day at work. Every day, yeah. I've been a little bit more into a bit more more clarity on situations linked to multicultural um, work environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So you can take these and leverage them as strengths. Yeah, that was that's my decision. <laughs> good, good. I like it. I support that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I just on a personal level, I've noticed just energy levels are different. Like. Um, in America, for example, I think it's the norm and encouraged to be outgoing, um, talkative, if you will, and uh, in social situations, you know. And um, in France, that's uh, that's really not the norm. I think people are a bit more reserved, a bit more contemplative, uh, and also like disagreements as well. Uh, I think French are more able to disagree, more ready to disagree. Again, coming back to that that oh, desire. good debate at the dinner table. Nothing like it. <laughs> okay yes so this is where you uh you also agree with that uh, yeah. <laughs> i've had my moments with that as well <laughs> <laughs> nice and then and it's just people have to remember what they, this is how people learn this is how people make sense of something and like this debate this disagreement could be a sign of respect it gets in a sign of engagement that's for sure yes. so yeah, yeah. really really nice so well, I give you a lot of respect for, you know, transversing the two different cultures and, um, you know, overcoming the challenge and now using it to your benefit and also bringing that empathy. I think that's what you said that I really resonate with as well, that you go through something. Now you have empathy for the other. Right. And, yeah, and you're I think, just I think so. Yeah, I think. And that's what I'm trying to 
teach it away or influence my clients to, to be able to have um, without all of the personal experience, but to intellectualize it a little bit. Yes, definitely. Well, I think it's fantastic. And uh, so, um, you know, we'll wrap up here. And I know um, you've got Maple Coaching and uh, if people want to find you, your website is maplecoaching.com. Is that right? It's maplecoaching.fr. Okay. Yeah. And otherwise they can go on my LinkedIn and there's the link there as well. All right. Well, yeah. thanks Dominique so much for, for coming on the show and talking thanks about these interesting me, Greg. It's been great. Yes. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. Bye.